0: Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. What did you want to be when you grew up? I guess are we growing up yet? When you were no. when you were a kid, <laughs> what did you think you <laughs> wanted to be when you grew up?
1: I think you can always have a "What do I want to be when I grow up?" No matter how old you are. But
0: oh, sure, no, I'm, I'm totally I'm I'm on board with that.
1: Yeah, but when I was a kid, I think I wanted to be a lawyer, an environmental lawyer.
0: How 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 much of a kid are we talking about here? What what age do you think this happened?
1: Probably like high school.
0: Were you were you six years old and and <laughs> thinking, you know, what I want to be when I grow up? I want to fight environmental justice via the law
1: with my briefcase or with my with like, briefcase um, satchel. Um, no, I guess it must have been older. I can't remember if I wanted to ever be anything like a ballerina or anything, you know, classic fire person, classic little kid stuff. Yeah,
0: the stereotypes, I guess.
1: Yeah, but but I, an environmental lawyer, fighting the good fight.
0: When did that dream die for you?
1: Oh, it's funny you should ask. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just like didn't want to do it anymore. I found nonprofits, and I wanted to work. I just like changed what I wanted. But my parents think that I stopped wanting to be a lawyer. I got into a like a pretty bad car accident when I was in college. Oh, and then geez. had to go. Yeah, everybody was fine. Okay, but um, then I had to go through like all of this like legal mumbo jumbo. Um, You know about it and my parents think that that was the moment that my dreams were crushed You
0: just thought never again.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't or not that I Feel but um, yeah, I just I just kind of switched <laughs> naturally switched gears Yeah What did you want to be?
0: Oh, I had no dreams. Absolutely. No dreams whatsoever <laughs> 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 Maybe we're just boring like that. That's okay. Um, we're here now well, sure, yeah, we're, yeah, I'm, we're we're podcasters now. Who would have thought, right? We're
1: fine. We're doing okay.
0: <laughs> well, so we are talking about this because I know that a lot of folks, uh, you mentioned ballerino or, or firefighter, yeah. but a lot of folks want to be an astronaut when they grow up. Oh, yeah, uh, and wow, it doesn't seem like that was either of our dreams. Mm-hmm. Our final mini series of 2022 that I guess I have to put an asterisk on that will actually air mostly in 2023 because scheduling is the way it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're doing great today. It, uh, but the series will actually feature interviews with NASA scientists from all sorts of backgrounds. Frankly, not not just space.
1: Oh, that's really cool. I'm excited to hear about all the different types of people that work at NASA.
0: Yeah, and so for this episode, we're going to hear previews from episodes in the series that we're calling Spaceship Earth. Our interviewer was Ashley Hamer, and I hope you all enjoy. Science is fascinating, but don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon.
1: And I'm Vicki Thompson.
0: And this is Third Pod from the Sun.
2: So my name is Chris Justice. I'm a professor in the Department of Geographical Sciences, University of Maryland. At the moment we're involved in a an applied sciences program uh, with NASA on agriculture. It's, agri- it's NASA's agricultural program called Harvest. So this is um, taking NASA's satellite data and the science that's been developed around that and making it useful for societal benefit. Working on food security in Africa, working on the crop production in Ukraine, uh, working on um, new methods for um, extracting information from satellites on crop production and yield, and uh, looking at the major producing countries around the world, the grain producers for the commodity crops, and looking at shortages and if there's drought and if there are problems in in uh, agricultural production and then what the impacts are on the global market and the impacts on supply chains that we've been experiencing. It's really uh, it's really the only way of figuring out what's going on and trying to give some early advanced notice of, of uh, drought and sort of food security issues in parts of the world that crash don't have perhaps don't have the same monitoring systems that we do here in the US.
3: My name is Dorian Janney, and I work for NASA at Goddard Space Flight Center. I work for a contractor called ADNET, and um, I am the Senior Education and Outreach Specialist for the Global Precipitation Measurement Mission. When when I had begun teaching, um, Pluto was a planet. And then during my, my teaching, uh, Pluto was demoted. And I, I had a, a colleague come in to me and say, I'm so sorry. I heard about Pluto uh, when I was teaching. And I remember saying to her, oh, this is so exciting. This is how science works. Pluto doesn't care. Pluto's still there. Pluto still is recognized as a, a super important component of our solar system. Um, but what's happened is that we've broadened our understanding, utilizing, great, you know, more sophisticated technology, and that's just forced us then to need to come kind of come up with a new conceptual scheme. So I'm saying all this to say that some of the challenges we have as scientists and science communicators are that. Uh, when we are trying to help the public understand things, we have to we have to find ways to make it um, v- understandable, and and we also have to help with this narrative that yes, sometimes science uh, is going to change. It doesn't mean that the facts are going to change. It doesn't mean that that nothing can be believed because everything's going to change. Um, so it's it's a it's a complicated and um, and and. A uh, challenging road to walk in in helping people to um, to know that that yes there are facts in science um, and yes those facts will change um, but but that doesn't mean that that things aren't real that we don't know what we're talking about.
4: My name is Dr. Matthew Rodell and I'm the. Deputy Director of Earth Sciences for Hydrosphere, Biosphere, and Geophysics at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. One of the things I'm most proud of is I was is one of the first GRACE hydrologists. GRACE is the Gravity Recovery and Climate Experiment, and it's a satellite mission. Uh, NASA has, you know, about 20 um, missions in orbit right now. Most of them are looking down and making measurements, um, various wavelengths of the EM spectrum and turning those into uh, useful observations for hydrology or for, for other areas of Earth science. Um, GRACE is completely different because it's actually two satellites that are orbiting the Earth together and instead of looking down, um, the, the key measurement is, is the distance between the two satellites. And, uh, and the reason that's important is because as, as satellites orbit the Earth, um, the Earth's gravity field is not completely homogeneous. So if you think of where there's a mountain range, um, there's more mass there, and that means there's more gravitational potential. And uh, and Earth, as satellites are floating around, um, you know, in basically in a vacuum, um, their their orbits are are affected um, a little bit by by the shape of Earth's gravity field. And so, Grace, using the measurements of the distance between the two satellites, um, along with their precise positioning, um, basically are able to to measure. The perturbations of their orbit caused by uh, variations in the gravity field and uh and so each month each month of observations can be can be used to create a new map of earth's gravity field and from month to month the the maps are so precise that we can see changes in the gravity field and uh, uh, the main cause of those changes are redistributions of mass at the surface, so things like groundwater, soil moisture, surface water, and snow and ice. And, uh, and as those are redistributed around, um, you know, it's, a, it's large quantities of mass. It's enough to perturb the orbits of satellites. And so we can back out based on the GRACE data, um, you know, the, basically the amount of, of snow that must have fallen in order to, to cause that, um, that change in the gravity field.
5: My name is Concha Reed. I work for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration at Glenn Research Center in Cleveland. I am the Deputy Program Manager for NASA's Radioisotope Power Systems Program, and this is under the NASA Headquarters Science Mission Directorate and the Planetary Sciences Division. I grew up in a really small island, St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, and there's not a lot of, let's say, light pollution there because it's a very small place. And at night, it can be very, very dark. And so the stars were within reach when I was growing up. And and so like a lot of young people, I used to look up at the stars and just kind of dream about what's out there and... Um, and then a few th- things naturally occurred during the course of growing up, I studied power engineering in uh, college. So this is a, a portion of electrical engineering. Uh, so growing up, um, because again, being a small Island our, we didn't have the benefit of a lot of backup power, like places in the United States have for instance. And we fell victim to hurricanes um, a few times during my young life. And so we sometimes would go long stretches without having electrical power. And I just kind of always wondered, well, are there things that I could do in the future to try to make sure that we have a more reliable source of power? And this kind of also um drew me when I was in my high school years, for instance, I was very interested in math and science. And I had a really wonderful chemistry teacher uh, who also happened to be my physics teacher, and just had a natural love for teaching and for educating young folks. And all of these things helped to inspire me to, you know, study electrical engineering, and science in college.
6: My name is Mark Subarau. I work for NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, and I lead the Scientific Visualization Studio. So it's basically turning science into movies. Um, the the team uses a lot of the same um Software and um, visual effects software that Hollywood uses. we kind of so we have one foot in that world, but at the same time, we have to be able to understand you know, and it's all different kinds of science, earth science, planetary science, heliophysics, astrophysics, and uh, be able to speak the language of science as well. like the really big concepts are in many ways often the easier, the easiest things to understand. I'll give an example from astronomy like so there are a couple things that people always ask about in astronomy it's well it's black holes well black holes are just cool in the public imagination but interestingly a lot of the topics people ask about are cosmological and like really big things like the origin and evolution of the universe it seemed like really really advanced science and you might say to yourself well people don't understand how seasons work like why, if they don't understand how the seasons work, why am I explaining it to them about like redshift and the expansion of the universe? But if you actually stop and think about it, an expanding universe is an easier mental concept than how the seasons work, which is actually a lot of complex geometry, which is actually hard to piece together. It's just that it's it seems like it's simple, because one's far removed from our experience and one is our, our everyday experience.
7: my name is Krista Peters-Ledard. I am currently the Acting Director for Sciences and Exploration at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Science is the R&D for the future, right? So we, we, we learn about our universe, but ultimately we also, you know, as we explore this universe, I mean we're we're understanding, you know, not only really fundamental questions about, you know, where is life, uh, you know, how did life evolve, how did our universe evolve, but also, I mean, we are we are understanding the abundance of different elements. I mean, you know, ultimately we might understand, you know, how different planets have evolved and how they've supported life and we might be able to bring it back to to supporting life on Earth, right? So, I mean, this Earth, you know, Earth 1.0 is here, but Earth 2.0 could be out there. And so, you know, imagine knowing our place in the universe and how we can have, you know, a sustainable path towards, you know, intelligent life, you know, going forward. I mean, these are huge questions. I mean, the other thing that's happening right now is that the private sector is revolutionizing access to space. So I think it's it's like an exciting time but it's a little uncertain because what is NASA's role in that? You know, how do how do you know what is how does NASA help facilitate these partnerships and, you know, maintain a focus on the big questions while you know also partnering with the earth and space sector to advance this new economy i mean there's going to be a new space economy and how do how do you protect the science so that's i think a big challenge we're going to have to navigate as we move forward
1: So I think something that a lot of folks don't realize is that there are a ton of scientists at NASA who don't do anything related to space.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I honestly didn't know that. And I'm excited for folks to hear from all sorts of NASA scientists over the coming weeks. And with that, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun.
1: Thanks so much to Jason Rodriguez and to you, Shane, for producing this episode.
0: And to Colin Warren for audio engineering with artwork by Karen Romano-Young.
1: We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Please rate and review us, and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com.
0: Thanks all, and we'll see you next week.
1: I literally can't. There's like certain things that if you say them out loud, I just start thinking, boop, 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 like the little music.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like when you memorize yeah. an Thanks album. All, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> do I guess people don't really do that anymore Memorize an album Do you remember doing that? Where like you would it? play a CD or play a cassette tape And then if you heard a song on the radio You would instantly start thinking of the next song That would come on the album
0: Oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: But I guess, is that a thing still for most people? Yeah. I don't know
0: I don't, Probably not for most people, no I mean, not even for me I may listen to a lot of music But I can't tell you the last time I listened to an album
1: Right, like just straight through Yeah hmm, hmm.
6: Or boring. I'm boring. I'll say I'm boring. No, I'm boring. I'll take it.